to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You are listening to episode number 97. 97? 97. That's crazy. By the way, listeners, we can hardly even wait for episode 100, which is going to be a huge celebration that we would have had 100 episodes. But our guest, should we tell them or should we keep it a secret? No, I think we should keep it a secret. Okay, let me just say, this is just... It's a big one, though. A big one. I'm so excited for episode 100 to share with you all. Um, By the way, Jill, did you happen to know that I'm a nana? I did! (laughs) Robin is officially a grandmother, everyone. So, listeners, I... We haven't really mentioned this in our recordings, and it just occurred to me that as we've been going through our different episodes that I've never brought this up, and I just have to take a moment to let the whole world know that little Conley Mae Kuykendall was born May 23rd, and she is absolutely perfect and precious and wonderful, and I am totally smitten with her. So, I love being a Nana. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So anyway, I'm sorry. I just had to indulge in that little trivia for you to know the details of life. I have to. How are we old enough to be grandmothers? Well, it feels a little strange, honestly, but I am really, really proud of Emily, my daughter. Like she's doing so great and taking care of Conley in such, oh, she and Nathan, they're doing so well. And our whole family on both sides is completely in love with her. And we can't imagine life without her already. So we're just in for the long haul with loving Conley. All right. So today we are going to take a deep dive in the Old Testament into a very special and much loved story. And we're going to look at it from two sides of a coin. We're going to talk about Naomi and Ruth from the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Both of these women get to be Women named in the Bible, which means they are in a they very special names. class. names. We're so excited. <laughs> we don't have to make up a name for them. And their story can be found in your Old Testament. The book of Ruth is only four chapters long. We do hope that you'll read it for yourself, either before or after this episode, and just drink it in and see the really cool things that the Lord does in this story and that you can connect with in your life. All right, so let's get into it. So, Naomi, let's start with Naomi. She was married to Elimelech. Yes. And Elimelech was a Bethlehem guy. Anybody heard of Bethlehem before? (laughs) Are you having bells going ding, ding, ding? That's where Jesus was born? You're right. So they were from Bethlehem. And why did they go to Moab? Well, they They actually... They were in Moab, so let's talk about why they were there. Sadly, I think that showed that they were choosing... 
to go away from faith in God. I think that they were just feeling like, okay, Elimelech thought, I'm just going to have to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to have to get my family. I'm just going to have to go somewhere else. And I think that it shows he he departed from following the Lord with his whole heart because he left and went to this pagan country. Yes. So there was a famine mm-hmm. or like possibly like a recession type thing like mm-hmm. we would have today. And there was limited resources. So in the practical mind, he thought, I'm going to just go to this other place that has resources and raise my family there. Now, what do we know about Moab, though? Well, we know they did not follow Yahweh for sure. They had many gods, Mm -hmm. and they really were not supposed to be surrounded by the Moabite people Mm -mm. at that time. And they weren't supposed to intermarry. They weren't supposed to let their sons marry their daughters or their daughters marry their sons. They were supposed to stay with people who followed the Lord. And that was not Moab. <laughs> no, it was not the land of Moab. So, but they—that's where they are. They left Bethlehem, went to Moab. They had two sons, and one of the sons is named Malon, and one was named Chilion. And we don't know exactly which wife goes with which husband. Uh, but if we went by order of which the names were listed, then Malon's wife would have been Orpah. And Chilean's wife would have been Ruth. Both of these ladies were Moabite women, which they probably did not follow Yahweh before they were married. And we don't know if Orpah did or not. But we do find out in the story, Ruth did choose to become a follower of Yahweh. And going back to leaving Bethlehem, the word Bethlehem actually means house of bread. Hmm. Which I find interesting because they left a place that was having a famine but meant house of bread to a place that they really probably weren't supposed to go to. Mm -hmm. And it was a pretty long journey. They would have had to go from Bethlehem. They would have had to go north and east, kind of over the Dead Sea and crossing over into Moab. It would have been a journey that certainly several weeks for them to, to make the trip with, you know, slow moving with their possessions and their donkeys and whatever they had. But, um, Moab was on the east side of the Dead Sea towards the south, and they would have had to travel through, well, they would have had to cross the Jordan River, and so this is like a big trip, and I wonder if Elimelech was hoping all these, you know, the grass is greener on the other side, but sadly, it did not go that way when they got there. No, it didn't, and actually... Their sons' names mean, you know how we, they wouldn't, I I don't, this is another one of those I can't imagine looking at a baby and naming them these things. Yes, true. So tell us about their meanings. (laughs) (laughs) One of the sons' names is sick, means sickly, and the other one's name means pining. Hmm. So not, probably not the best choices of names Mm -hmm. for your children. I don't know. I know. And, and both of them died young. Yes. So... I wonder if they were even from birth, if they were not strong. Yeah. Yeah. And the years that they were married, we don't exactly know how long the marriages for Malin and Orpah and Chilion and Ruth were, but we do know that there were 10 years of living in Moab. So it could have been that they literally were married 10 years Mm -hmm. and they had no children from any of them. But we, and it may have been that their marriages were 
towards the end of that 10 years, and then both of the brothers died. We don't know how they died or how long after the marriage, but both of these young widows are now with their mother-in-law, who's also a widow. These three women are defenseless in that day and age. If they did not have a husband to provide for them or children to provide for them, they would basically have no financial support. They have no options. It's a really tough situation, and they're all three widows together. This is kind of where the story opens up in the first part of Ruth. Yes. So when we start at the book of Ruth, and the sons have died, and the husband has died, we find Naomi, and she takes her daughter-in-laws, and they start leaving Moab. Mm-hmm. They get far enough away that... And wait, let me just also okay. say, she heard a rumor that that the Lord is blessing His people. The famine is going to be drawing to a close. She's thinking, it may be a long shot, but I'm going to give it all I got. I'm going to get back home. This is a big deal. She's she's packing up her tiny little belongings that she has, and she's heading back to Bethlehem. And the girls are going with her until okay. Now pick up where. Well, and for three women to be traveling alone, yeah, was probably extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. Naomi's probably elderly, so or I mean she's older in age. Mm-hmm. So it, this is a huge trip, a huge journey and three women it's dangerous on a lot of levels dangerous yes on a lot of levels so and it's interesting you can see that they really do have a wonderful relationship they all really care for each other because in verse 8 you can see they're starting along on their path but Naomi stops and she says oh she's basically saying why don't you both just go back to the home you grew up in? Maybe you can find a husband. Just go back. It's okay. I'll be all right. You go on. May God bless you. And I'm just going to go on back to my hometown, and you go back to yours. And they, they're sad. They, they weep. weep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they kiss each other. They weep. And they say, no, we want to stay with you. We're going to go with you. And she, she continues to tell them, no. You need to return home, go back to your mother's homes, you'll be taken care of. She points out that there's no way she's going to be able to provide husbands for them. She says, even if I were to provide, even if I were to yet have sons in my womb, would you wait so that they would grow up and become your husbands? You know, that so to wait till they were grown? No, my daughters. And she says, it is exceedingly bitter to me. For your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So what does this tell us right here? Talk a little bit about Naomi and how she's feeling in this yeah, moment. Naomi uh, is very upset and angry. shes I mean, I think she's kind of angry. She's, at one point says, don't even call me Naomi anymore. I want you to call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. Mm-hmm. So she was a bitter woman. Mm-hmm. She was angry that she was in this town that she didn't know. It's not her town. Her husband has died. Her children have died. She's left with these two girls who she loves and has taken care of, but they're not her children. And they're, she thinks they'll be, it's pra- more practical. They'd be better off staying where they are. They can marry in, within their own culture and have their parents there take care of them. 
So she's very angry and bitter. Mm-hmm. And she thinks the Lord has forgotten her and turned his back on her. So hit pause on this. I wonder if anybody's feeling like your toes are being stepped on. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, Naomi sounds a lot like me. Keep listening because there are great things in store for this story and there are great things in store for you. Okay, so we're, we're in this part of the story and one of the daughters-in-law says, okay, I will go back. And she kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. She weeps. She goes back home. Orpah is is gone. And um, side note that is totally not related, by the way, I have actually (laughs) learned an interesting fact about the famous um, star Oprah that Mm -hmm. she was named after this character, Orpah, but they misspelled the name on the birth certificate. Yeah. Have you also heard heard that? that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... She was supposed to be Orpah and became Oprah. So I chased a (laughs) rabbit. I'm so sorry, listeners. So back to the Bible. It says, Ruth clung to Naomi. Ruth is staying with her no matter what. And here we come to the most special verses that you probably have heard in weddings. In fact, my own mom and dad had this exact scripture in their wedding. My mom quoted it from memory to my dad in their wedding ceremony. And this is verse 16. And we can see the heart of Ruth and in her beliefs in this little passage. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Wow. This is pretty amazing. This is absolutely shocking to Naomi that Ruth would choose a life of poverty for mm-hmm. her and a sentence of never giving, getting a husband, most likely. Right. She knows there's no chance for her to get a husband, very little chance. She is claiming Yahweh is her God. She is saying, I will follow the God you follow. And she calls him the Lord. She's making an oath. This is a big deal, a binding oath. She's saying, this is such a big deal that if I go back from this, that I will be basically saying, Lord, just kill me. So this is just an enormously important moment of loyalty. And we see spiritual devotion and we see a really special relationship devotion that Ruth has for this Naomi mother-in-law that she loves so dearly. Well, and where Elimelech made a decision to do what he thought was practical, Ruth is doing something that does not seem practical. She's going against what seems in her personal best, which would be marriage and being with her own people. So that would be practical in favor of a spiritual reality, in favor of there's something about Naomi's God. There's something about Naomi that I'm thirsty for, that I want to be around. And so she continues. She's going to a place where she doesn't know anybody. She doesn't know the culture. She knows they may not even like her because she's not an Israelite. So, um, I mean, she has no idea what's going to happen when she gets there. But she trusts Naomi. And they, they make their way into this very dangerous journey, these two widows traveling together, and they make it, which shows me the Lord's hand was with them, protecting them. 
the Lord was with him every step of the way, even though Naomi was still so hurt and angry about her circumstances. And just like Jill said, when they came into town, she's like, everybody, I may be back, but I'm not the same Naomi. I'm going to go by Mara now. (laughs) They say, can this woman be Naomi who left 10 years ago? Is that Naomi? And that's when she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. And talk about what happened in the town in verse 19 when they're walking in the doors of their, uh, you know, not, not the doors, but they're making their way into Bethlehem. What's going on? It says the whole town. The whole town. This is the talk of the town. Everyone's going they from were house to house. <gasps> Naomi's back. Naomi's back. Naomi's back. This is a big deal. And she brought a daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law chose to stay. Everyone is talking about this. It's a big, big deal. So here they are at the end of verse or chapter 1. She even says in verse 20, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She mm-hmm. is just very angry. Mm-hmm. And it has reason to be. I mean, she's had a lot of horrible things happen. That's true. She's had a lot of tough things. So Ruth and Naomi are trying to figure out how are they going to find food for the day, every day. They, they have no belongings of to speak of. And they basically, because they're women... Naomi's not given the land that she would have been right to. Like if a husband and wife are married today in 2022, when that a, a tragic death happens to the husband, the wife still gets to live in her home. It's still her home. But this is a totally different time. Mm-hmm. This is just the woman does not get to own anything, which I know is terribly unfair, but that's just the way it was. <laughs> so. Yeah, a lot of these things, things we're talking about, was just that time period. And we're not saying this is how it should have been or how things were meant to be. We're just saying this is what it was. So somehow they found a place to stay. They We don't really know. The Bible doesn't specify where they were lodging or if they had a little tent or where they even found a place. But they were trying to figure out how they were going to get their daily food. And Ruth has a really good idea. Ruth says to Naomi, okay, what about this? This is a chapter two, the beginning. She says, how about I go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So she's just going to go and hope that she finds someone that she can show that she is a hard worker and that they will allow her to follow after the harvesters and just pick up the tiny leftovers the little pieces of grain that are too small for their sacks. And Naomi gives her the blessing. Okay, go. And as she does this, she finds out that she's gleaning in the field of Boaz. And I want to point out that this is so cool. Look at verse number three, where we see she happened to come to the part of the field. And I just love that we can see right here, this was God's sovereignty. So in your life, listeners, if there's ever a time that you're like, well, it just so happened that I saw that person today, or it just so happened that the house we moved into was next door neighbors with such and such or whatever, that is an example of God's perfect sovereignty coming to pass. So this, she did not have any designs on Boaz. She didn't really know who Boaz was, I don't think, at this point. Mm -hmm. She was doing what she could to just provide for her mother-in-law and herself. She happened to come, air quotes, and this is God's sovereignty. 
Okay, so let's keep going. So Boaz was from the clan of Elimelech. So he was related to Elimelech. That was like a next of kin relative that she had no idea. And he is a good man, and he takes care of her, and he protects her, and he says, stay with my women. Yeah, he notices her. Yeah. He doesn't just overlook the people. He notices Ruth, and he says, whose young woman is this? Huh. He notices Ruth. I wonder if he was even thinking, wow, who Who is is that? that? (laughs) Maybe so. I haven't seen her before. (laughs) And you know what's interesting, cool, too, here is that the servant tells him, oh, you know who you've heard. She's a young Moabite woman. Remember? And everybody, oh, yeah. Oh, I've heard yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Naomi's back. The talk of the town. Because okay. the young Moabite widow, this is just scandalously amazing to them that she would choose a life of not finding a husband. So he has been really, he has been amazed in this, just hearing the story that she was so kind to her mother-in-law. So he tells her, stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along. I have told them not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So he is totally taking care of her. He's like, I've already told everybody to keep their hands off of you. I've already, you just follow these girls and do what they're doing. If you need water, go get water. But you're going to be safe here. So from the very first interaction they ever had together... Boaz was protecting her, and Boaz was providing for her. Do you see in this story how this is a picture? Boaz is a character picture of our Heavenly Father. He is already protecting and already providing before she even knows who he is. That's, that's what the Lord does for us. And she says, why, how, why have I found favor in your eyes? Why are you even noticing me? And he says, I've heard what you did with your, for your mother-in-law. We've all heard. We all know who you are. You left your family. You left your town to come here with your mother-in-law and take care of her. So you just do what you need to do because we all respect that. And he even says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. So he shares her faith. He's talking about Yahweh, and he is asking God to bless her. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. So this is really, and do you remember two weeks ago when we talked about the amazing, the wings, the prayer? Yeah, that was a few weeks ago, yeah. Oh, it was four weeks ago, wasn't it? But, you know, talk a little bit about that, Jill, and how significant it is that he says that she's taking refuge under his wings, Wings were the protection. So like as we talked about, the rabbis would wear the tallet that had the tassels and the corners of it were called their wings and that was where healing was. So he's like, stay here under my wings, under my tallet, and you will have protection with me. He's, a, he's an important man in the town. People knew not to mess with him. If he said something, that was, that was how it was. He even made sure she had plenty to eat and drink that day. He even specifically told his young guys that were working for him, do not reproach her. And in fact, on purpose, pull out some of the grain that you've already put in your bundle and let her pick it up. Put it there on the ground on purpose. And he was specifically providing enough for her so that she had so much when she went home. It was like a two-week supply for her and her mother-in-law. For these two ladies to have a two-week supply built up, I mean, they felt like millionaires. This was amazing. Mm-hmm. So tell us what Naomi, how did Naomi respond when Ruth got home? 
So when Ruth got home, Naomi says, where did you go? Like, where'd you glean today? Who'd you work for? I mean, blessed be the man that took notice of you because there's a lot of food here. Like, what happened here? And she told her mother-in-law, the man I worked for today is Boaz. Naomi said, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. What is a kinsman redeemer? So in the first part of the Bible, the Torah, the five, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah talks about how when there was a, a man who would marry and die before he had produced an heir, that man's brother was supposed to marry his wife and have an heir in the husband's name, the former husband's name. And then it would go on if there was another brother his brother would, or the next cousin, or the different family connections would go on until the point was an heir could still be produced in the name of that original husband, and he would be called, the the husband who would fulfill that duty would be called a kinsman redeemer, which here we have another picture from an Old Testament story of our present God, because Jesus is our Redeemer. He is the Redeemer of our souls, our eternal Redeemer. And Boaz is a kinsman Redeemer for this moment for for Ruth and Naomi. And I wanted to notice how did this reaction in verse 20 about Naomi and what she's saying about God, what does it show us that God's doing in Naomi's heart right now? Right. It's starting. She's starting to change a little bit because all of a sudden she's like, oh, but he shows you kindness. The Lord bless him. He's been, he's a close relative. Maybe God does see us. Maybe he is taking care of us. Yeah. She's like, God hasn't forsaken the living or the dead because even though her husband is dead, she's recognizing God's still seeing me and she still sees my daughter-in-law and maybe this child could, maybe Ruth could get married and still have an heir and our God is not forgetting about us. This is really amazing. So Ruth let Naomi know, by the way, Boaz invited me back. Keep coming all through my harvest. And so this is really an important turning point in the story, a reversal of destiny for Ruth and for Naomi, because now that Boaz is in the picture, Ruth has hope for the future. So let's talk about what happens next. Okay, so now we come to the threshing floor, and this very. is a very interesting and spicy part of the story. The second encounter of Boaz and Ruth. <laughs> so starting with verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, One day Naomi said to her, My daughter, should I not try and find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours? Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Okay, that's a lot of information. It is a lot of information, (laughs) and it sounds a little bit creepy. Sounds a little scandalous. (laughs) So... What Naomi is telling Ruth to do is really a marriage proposal. 
This is a very bold move by Ruth. Ruth is is going to present herself physically as most beautifully and smelling aromatically fragrant as possible. (laughs) And she's going to basically propose to Boaz by humbly laying at his feet. And when he wakes up, him in the moment, he will see that she is lying down and basically saying, I want to be your wife. That is what this whole right. role-playing it's is about. Really, <laughs> it's not really, it's not a sexual thing. It's not anything like that. No. It's just a proposal of, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm asking you to be my kinsman redeemer. I'm asking mm-hmm. you to take that place and to take care of me. And this is an example, Ruth. Ruth really listens to the wisdom of her mother-in-law. She follows exactly what Naomi suggested for her to do. So listeners, there may be people in your life right now that you're just so grateful for their words, the wise words they have for you. And there may be times that you're asking the Lord for guidance. So you may have a Naomi in your life. And when they give you wise advice, for you to follow along with what they've advised is a really good choice like Ruth. She chose to follow what Naomi told her to do. She did exactly what Naomi said. She waited until Boaz was asleep. She came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And about midnight, he was startled and he turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. (laughs) So this is a really sweet part of the story because he didn't, in the dark, he couldn't even see who she was. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth your servant, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now his response shows that he, as an older man, he was really touched that she would even try to be his wife. I think that it meant a lot to him that she did not go after some young, more handsome, more fit kind of guy. She she knew that Boaz was an older gentleman, but she went to him because he was such a righteous and caring redeemer, and she chose to try to be his wife. This is a really important thing in the story here. She's a young, probably very beautiful woman, enough that when Boaz first saw her, he's like, who is that girl? <laughs> <laughs> so she could have probably gone after whoever, and they all respected her. They all loved her because mm-hmm. they knew what she'd done for Naomi. So she probably could have had whoever she wanted to. And he loves, I mean, well, he doesn't say he loves her. He basically esteems her. He says in verse 11, Ruth 3, 11, he says, everyone in town knows you are a worthy woman. So he feels he's just, uh, he sees what a kind woman she is. He sees what a hard worker she is. And he is willing to be her kinsman redeemer. And then he actually shows integrity and honor because he does not want to take Ruth as his wife if anyone who was a closer relative would have said, that's not fair, I should have been able to do that. So in marrying Ruth, he would basically get the land of the whatever the land where Elimelech used to live a long time ago. So Boaz takes care of that the next day at the town gate through a very interesting interaction with a sandal. <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell us about that, Jill? <laughs> um, 
So in verse 2, it says, Boaz took ten elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. And then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who's come, this is the person who's closer kinsman redeemer than he actually is. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. If you do, if you will not, tell me so I know, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And then the man says, I will redeem it. And Boaz says, okay. Then on the day you buy the land from Naomi... And from Ruth the Moabite, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the property of the dead man's property. And the kinsman redeemer said, mm, nah, then I can't do it. Right. So. so he was apparently concerned that if he married Ruth, that it would possibly jeopardize the children he already had or somehow be confusing in who was the heir. And he just... Wanted to not do that. By the way, it's kind of interesting to me that the buying of the land is equal sign marrying Ruth, which yeah. is like such an example so of... you're buying the land and also you get these two women to take care of. <laughs> One of them you're going to have to marry and have children with in the name of her first mm-hmm. husband. Buy the land now. You get two free women. <laughs> <laughs> but this shows the context of the day. The women literally had no say. This was about the Absolutely. land. So Ruth was going to come along with the whole process of the land. And then the first child would be the heir of Elimelech, basically. So this man says, I can't do it. You do it yourself. And in this time in Israel, for the redemption and transition of property to become final, here's where the sandal comes in, (laughs) one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the method of legal transaction. So when you make a deal, (laughs) when you're like buying a house, you should just Come prepared to switch Just shoes with the realtor. Off, yeah. the realtor. <laughs> this is our deal we're making. So it would be like a handshake or like writing something now, but it was that was the deal. Here's my sandal. You do it. <laughs> and you removed a sandal. So in this story, Boaz, with integrity, stepped up, became the kinsman redeemer, married Ruth. And then all of the townspeople gave glory to God in this story. They all witnessed it. In fact, they offer a blessing, which is so extraordinary if you look at it. It's at the end of chapter 4. And the townspeople's blessing is, May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. We know about them, don't we, Joe? We do know about Rachel and Leah. (laughs) Who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of, wait for it, Perez. Okay, listeners, I don't know if you know about this story. Oh, this Whom is a Tamar, story. Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So what I'm shocked by and amazed by in this story is, even though the story of Tamar bearing a child to Judah, her father-in-law, whom she tricked, she deceived, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out. It's in the oh, book yeah. of Genesis. You Woo. can go find the, book, the story of Tamar if you don't know that story. And the son they had was named Perez. Does this story just show you 
God takes the things that are even the shamefulness of our life and God works them for His glory. I mean, think about the genealogy of Christ. There are three foreign women listed in the genealogy of Christ. Tamar is one, and she bore a child to Judah. And then Rahab... Who is the son of Leah. Who is the son of Leah, right. And then Rahab, who was a prostitute in Jericho. And then the the final one is Ruth the Moabite. Ruth became the grandmother of, or would she be the great-grandmother of King David? Mm-hmm. How amazing. So Boaz and Ruth had a baby. They named him Obed. And Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse, Jesse we know, is the father of David. That's all in the lineage of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Naomi, how does she feel at the end of this story? Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And then the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Ovid. So she's now happy. She's a grandmother like you're a grandmother, and she's just happy. (laughs) And the, the fact that Naomi has come back to that faith and joy and gratitude. The women in the town are saying they can see that God has restored your life and God has nourished you in your old age. Um, They're talking about how this little baby is like a restorer of life that God has given her and a nourisher of her old age. And they call Ruth, her daughter-in-law, more worthy than seven sons, which... That's a big deal. That's a big deal. They're saying that's how special she is. That's how amazing Ruth is. And so when we look at this story, we see the faithfulness of God. We see that the relationship between Naomi and Ruth has beautiful lessons for all of us. We see that God blessed Ruth in her humble caring for Naomi, even though it looked like practically she was going to be a widow forever. And God blessed her. This is a an amazing story of the reversal of destiny. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for God. And Ruth made a decision that she could not see a solution in advance. But she just knew that that was the right thing to do. And I think I'm seeing a theme in a lot of the stories that we've done where people make decisions because they feel like it's what God's telling them to do. And God ends up working it out for them, but they had no idea how it was going to work out. Yeah. In the midst of frayed knots, in the midst of our despair, we don't we don't know how it's going to end up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would sure love to actually talk to both Ruth and Naomi right now. I mean, I would love to say, "How did you feel?" and tell us the, what happened behind the scenes because there's so much in the scripture that we would love to know that we just don't know. But. Well, and we all love Ruth, and she was obedient, and she's kind of seen as this, you know, obedient, wonderful thing. I really like Naomi, too, though, because I love that she's so outspoken, and she just says what she feels. She's maybe an Enneagram 8. I don't know what, but she was just like, you know what? God's made me, so call me bitter. Like, she just says what she thinks. If she's angry, she lets you know she's angry, but when she's happy, they know that, too. I bet Ruth was an Enneagram, too. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably. She just couldn't stop helping people. She just wanted to help everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, but what a great story today. So listener, whether you identify with the beginning of the story where these three widows were looking at a completely hopeless situation or whether you're seeing yourself at the chapter four where you look back and you say, wow, God has done this amazing thing. I just want you to know this story is for you. So wherever you are, you can trust the faithfulness of God and that He is a restorer of life. He is your Redeemer. Just like Boaz was the Redeemer for Ruth. And He sees you and He's protecting you and providing for you even when you don't know it. He already is doing those things for you. So next time we will, if you want to read ahead, we are going to be discussing Esther. So the book of Esther also is not very long that you can look at and Mary Magdalene in the New Testament. So we're going back to Old Testament, New Testament and mm-hmm. women in, from the Bible that people that actually have names. That's right. And that people probably know their story, but we're going to look really deeper into their story and their afraid nuts. We hope that your summer's going great and that you're enjoying your July. And we will be back in two weeks with more from Afraid Not. Have a great day.